You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Um, yeah, so as Rob said, we are finishing off the partner that God pursues. We have been doing this one for, oh, 10 weeks? It's been, a, it's been a while. It's been a while. We've gone all the way from Genesis 12 all the way up to, we are going to get it all the way to Genesis 24 today. Um, we're going to cover a big chunk of scripture today to wrap this up, but uh, <clears throat> we're going to look at the legacy that Abraham left behind. So last week, Rob left us off with the binding of Isaac, uh, the story of God calling Abraham to sacrifice his son. And in that, he did a great job of really expressing how, how traumatic this was going to be for both Isaac and probably Abraham also, uh, fitting on Father's Day here of, like, that would probably be pretty tough as a father to go sacrifice your kid. Uh, I'm not a dad. I wouldn't want to sacrifice one of my betas, though, and I would imagine it would be more so for an actual child. Right, Rob? Other than my dad, he'd probably be the only one that would go for that. Hi, dad. Uh, anyway, um, happy Father's Day. Um, as I joke, a kid. Um, but yeah, so we left off with Isaac, and Isaac was probably MIA, we decided, at the end of this story, because Abraham comes down off the mountain, and we don't actually know where Isaac is at. We don't actually know. He doesn't say anything about him, and he doesn't show up again for a whole long while. We're actually going to see where he rejoins the story today. And so it's probable that Isaac is missing in action. And then he comes down off the mountain, and the very next story that we get in chapter 23 is the death of Sarah. Begins with the death of Sarah, his wife. Let me pose a question to you. In your mind, when you think, man, the blessing of God, you're going to be a blessing to all nations, this big promise that Abraham had, does this sound like blessing? Does this sound like, at this point in the story, does this sound like he is just blessings are raining down? Maybe not so much. Sounds a little bit like there's chaos around him. It sounds a little chaotic. And so my, the question that I have is, how does Abraham live out this promise to be a blessing to all nations, to be God's chosen people? How does he live out this promise in the midst of chaos? For me, how do I live out the call that God has for me in the midst of chaos? Which might apply. I mean, it kind of seems like 2020 is a bit of a dumpster fire um, thus far. Submit that for your consideration. This might apply. Maybe we could learn something from him out of this. But let's jump into Genesis 23. So Genesis 23 starts here with, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kirith Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Avraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Avraham rose up before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham. He said, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. 
None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Now we're going to focus in on this verse 6 where it says, Hear us, my Lord, for you are a prince of God among us. We're going to focus in on this, but I want to, I want to spark note the rest of the chapter so we see where this falls kind of in the middle of. So Abraham could have taken that offer. They said, you can pick the, any tomb that we have. Could have been the king's tomb, right? Best tomb there. All glitzy and gra- glam- glamour, glamourly. That's, I don't even know if that's glitzing, glitzing, glamour. I, I don't, I'm coming up with new words. It's exciting. Um, anyway, the pretty tomb. We're going to go with that. Stay with the small words, Logan. Stay with the small words. Anyway. Um, he could have taken that offer, but instead he wants to buy some land, create a family tomb for his family. Okay. This leads to an exchange with this guy, Ephron the Hittite, who offers it for free. Free is a good price. I would have taken the free, uh, but Abraham insists on paying. We'll talk about that in footnotes, our, our extra supplemental podcast this week about what's going on there. Cause there's some, there's some sketchy stuff going on. There's a little political intrigue maybe that's going on there. But eventually Abraham is able to convince him. They barter it out and he's able to buy the cave in the field that he wants so that he can bury Sarah. And that's the end of the chapter. Now, side note, there is no mention of Isaac anywhere in this story. He is still not with us, or at least it's not mentioned. But if we go back to verse six there, We focus in on this, hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. What's happening here, Abraham has developed a reputation. He's developed a reputation in the land, and these pagans, quote-unquote, the Hittites and all of the other people in Canaan, he's developed this reputation as a prince of God among them. And this isn't just like a prince of the gods. No, no, they refer to his God, Elohim, the God. He has had an effect on the culture that he is living in, even in the midst of this chaos, because it's possible Isaac, young as possibly 13, and and Sarah had him when she was like 90, um, doing math, obviously really good at math. So from 90, I think the way this works out, it could have been like a span of possibly 24 years that Isaac could have been gone, or maybe it was right up next to her death. But in the midst of this, that Abraham is living in Canaan, he's developed this reputation with the people as a prince of God. If I die and I am known as a prince of God, or if I ever at any point in my life attain the point where somebody refers to me as a prince of God, I'm doing all right. I'm okay with that. Like, that's a goal. Like, set that one out for, for 2021. 2020's done for. We're quit, quit with the goals for that. But 2021, prince of God. All right. Like, that's, that's something. Now, the question that I'm left with is, despite whatever is going on in my life, am I bringing people closer to God? Because that's what I see Abraham doing. He's bringing them in contact God, the creator of the universe. <clears throat> now, he's developed this reputation through living in the land with the people, living amongst them, dealing with them, trading with them, bartering with them, right? But he hasn't 
he hasn't lost himself. And we see this in the next story in Genesis 24. He hasn't lost who he is. He hasn't lost track of who God has called him to be. And I think possibly, maybe for your consideration, he's learned some lessons through some of his misadventures. Because as we've gone back through the weeks through this series and we've tracked the story of Abraham, there have been some misadventures. Specifically the Egyptian one, Kof Kof Hagar, might have learned some lessons through that whole experience that I think we see play out in this story. So if we go to 24, Genesis 24 here, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord. We'll probably talk about that in footnotes. The God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. It's a long way. Um, If I I remember correctly, it's like a 21-day journey if you're walking by yourself without a caravan. It's a fair chunk of real estate that you got to walk across here. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, of God, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. Making a hard point of this. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master, and swore to him concerning one, Abraham. All right, so a couple things are going on there that I want to key in on. One, Abraham does not want Isaac to go back to the land that he came from. There's a couple of options there. It's possible that Abraham just doesn't want Isaac to go back there because he realizes that Isaac might find a pretty lady, might see things, might like it, and he might not come back to Canaan where he is a sojourner. He might, not, he might not want to put that temptation in front, of, in front of Isaac. It's also possible that since Isaac was offered as a sacrifice uh, in every way except for actually dying, that that sacrifice is not supposed to leave the land. Isaac actually never leaves Canaan. Uh, I think he's the only patriarch that doesn't in the story off the top of my head. But a couple of options. Whatever reason, Abraham does not want him to go back there says, no, 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 we got to stay here where God has put us. In this land, God said, I'm giving you this land, and we just bought, we finally got our little chunk of real estate here. Like, we just laid down, nope, 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 you don't get to go back. You got to stay here, Isaac. <clears throat> now, but on the flip side of that, Abraham doesn't want him to take a wife from the Canaanites. We can't do that. That'd be bad for some reason. All right, so let's break this down. Why would that be bad? Well, possibly Abraham has learned because when he took a foreign wife, Hagar, that kind of messed up the story. 
that created some, some turmoil. That kind of took the narrative that God had, and it kind of like, oop, we're going to take a detour. That wasn't great. Got a little rocky there for a bit, right? Introduced this whole problem with Ishmael, which created other problems down the line. It could be that Abraham is trying to avoid this problem. He is trying to take this, this stumbling block that he had and take it out of the way so that Isaac doesn't have to deal with it as he's moving through his life. There's another aspect that I think is going on here. I think Abraham knows, and I don't know whether God told him to do this or not. It doesn't tell us. But I think Abraham knows that he needs a wife for Isaac. Isaac needs a wife that's going to help him tell this different story. He needs a wife that's cut from a different cloth than the people that they are around. Because God chose Abraham for a couple of those reasons that we talked about way back when, where Abraham looks a little different than your normal Middle Eastern culture. He's a little different. He's sacrificially generous, and we've seen these play out through the series. But sacrificial generosity, that's huge. He takes this barren wife. That's unheard of, right? That, that ends your line. And he's, he's also, he's not willing, he's not settling. He's willing to move. He looks different than the people we've been introduced to in the story thus far. And I think that he wants to go back and get some of that for Isaac to be married to because he knows that that's going to be important moving forward. <clears throat> so as we go on through that story, the servant picks up and he goes to the city of Nahor, which is way up there where uh, Abraham came from, and uh, to look for the right girl. He sends him, servant goes up there, he takes the camels, packs up all the stuff that you need, gold, silver, goats, because you got to trade goats or something like that. Um, and, and the servant gets up there, and he comes up with this plan for God to show him who the right girl is, okay? And this plan is a pretty good one, if you're the servant, because if the servant, remember, if he doesn't find the right girl, then he just gets to go be with all the stuff that he just took. Like, this sounds like a pretty good deal. So he comes up with, he lays down a fleece, if you will. Um, but he prays to God, and this prayer actually, I think, kind of shows us that Abraham is leading his household in a really good way. Because I think this servant, and if you read his prayer, he really wants God to be faithful to Abraham, his master. He wants to be successful in this. <clears throat> so he prays that God would uh, show him who the right girl is because he's going to ask her for a drink and she'll say yes. He's, he's camped out by the well, by the cistern, and he says, give me a drink, and she'll say yes, and then she'll offer to water his camels. Ooh la la, right? Well, let's, a little context here. Cisterns, big hole in the ground that you walk down into to get the water, and then you haul it back up by hand in your bucket, jug, jar, whatever you've got. <clears throat> So you're going down these stairs, back up with water. Since I'm a nerd, I know that each gallon of water weighs 8.34 pounds um, because beta fish. But uh, so if you take, for example, one of those Culligan five-gallon buckets back there that we've got for the Culligan water expenser, those are at least 40 pounds. Oh. So she's going to go down, and then she's going to give him a drink, and you're in the desert, so he's probably going to drink a fair amount, and then she's going to water his camels. Now, I don't know about, I don't, I don't know exactly how much, but I do know that camels drink a lot. Um, when they do drink, they drink a lot. And he's probably got, it seems like he's got multiple camels, so that is a ton of trips 
up and down this cistern. Go grab one of those 40-gallon jugs and hike up and down those stairs enough to fill up the camels. This is, this is incredibly generous of her, which brings us back to, oh, she's cut from that same cloth. Turns out she's like his, Abraham's second niece. I don't know. The, the family trees get really, really confused. But she's cut from the same cloth as him. She is sacrificially generous. Because before the servant has even finished speaking, to God. He's praying to God. He opens his eyes. Amen. And Rebecca enters stage left right there. God's just showing off at this point. He's like, you haven't even finished and she's coming. I knew what you were going to do, right? So she comes into the picture and she does exactly that. He goes running up, give me a drink. She says, absolutely. And I'm going to water your camels. Start trekking up and down the cistern. And he's like, jaw hits floor. Yes. Success. Right? So uh, he tells her what's going on. He says, yeah, I'm here to find a wife for Isaac, for my, my master's son, blah, blah, blah. And then they go back to her family where he explains the entire story again, which is why this chapter is so long and we're skipping all this part. And they tell this story so many times and they go over this and then it's ascertained by the family that, ah, yes, this is definitely ordained by God. Like he lined this up. She should definitely go. And then because consent is really cool, they ask Rebecca, and Rebecca agrees, which that might be a little different for that society too. I'm just, I just, like, that doesn't sound normal for them. All right, well, okay. So these guys are so different. These are good people. Gah. Anyway, um, I've rabbit trailed myself. Um, Rebecca agrees to go, and they head back to the Negev, to Beersheba. Okay, so they're back on their camels and they're, they're riding off, which is where we'll pick up the story. Verse 62. Now, Isaac had returned from Ber Laharoi, which is the most fun place to say in the Bible. That just rolls off the tongue beautifully. From Ber Laharoi and was dwelling in the Negev. So Isaac has officially re-entered the story for the first time since way back when. This is the first time that he's physically there that we know. <clears throat> he's dwelling in the, in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, which is where they get their evening prayers uh, in the Jewish faith. This is where they get that, that idea, is the evening prayers. He's out in the field meditating. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, uh, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after the death of his mother, after his mother's death. One, there's been time that has passed since the burial of Sarah and this story, because it starts off, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. It sounds like there's, there's time covering here. So either Isaac just found out not that long ago that his mother had died, or he's been grieving for a long time. Either way, <clears throat> either way, Rebecca is a healing factor in this story. 
and they'll they'll teach that you know in dealing with grief and and dealing with death apparently there's a there's this teaching that you know being fruitful and multiplying and moving on in new life that's part of the the grieving and healing process apparently some interesting stuff you can go dig into there if you want <clears throat> but the part i want to key on key in on here is abraham because he's got this story that's been progressing from chapter 12 all the way on up to where we're at. And he's been telling this story. God has been working through him to tell this story, partnering with Abraham. And this story is going to go forward through Isaac. And I think this, this, this chapter 24, I think this, this really kind of tells us that. I think it really... It, it puts on us that, yes, this is going to move forward because the same things that we're seeing, the seeds that Abraham planted through this story are starting to be seen already in the next generation. Now, yes, the seeds that are planted are going to be seen, but that means the good seeds and the bad seeds. Because, yeah, Abraham might have helped Isaac dodge the bullet of taking a foreign wife, but that's going to show up later down the story, way down the story, because Israel doesn't necessarily learn that lesson once they get onto, you know, being a nation. That actually leads to a whole lot of trouble, whole lot of trouble. So way down the line, those seeds can rear their ugly head. But the good seeds and the bad seeds are going to continue to play out. This thing that we saw God pulling out of Abraham, or God sees in Abraham back in chapter 12, where he's a generous guy, and he's willing to keep moving. He's not, he's not going to stagnate, right? All these things that we saw God identify and then work with and develop and grow and add to over the course of these chapters, they're still there. They're still at work. And we see that in who he chooses, who God chooses to be Isaac's wife. This is still a value, Abraham is made up of the kind of stuff that God can work with to put the world back together again. That's what God's trying to do here. He's trying to put the world back together. And he's partnering, he's partnering with humanity through Abraham. And he's going to use this to be a blessing, not just to the Israelite nation, but to all nations, which I'm going to hazard a guess most of us in this qualify under the all nations not the Israelites, probably, being in, you know, Montana. Um, that just my guess. But Abraham is made up of the stuff that God wants to work with. So let's, let's throw up that, that graphic there, Evan. <clears throat> Thank you. Now this is, we, we started off, and this, this was blank, because we started with Avram, and he's just kind of this regular guy. He's cut from a different cloth, but he's pretty regular, Screws up within the first story that we hear about him. Um, runs off to Egypt, messes up. But by the end of this, he's heralded as a, a champion of the faith. Like he's this superhero of the faith. And he grows over the course of this story into that. Which I find comforting because it means that there might be hope for me. Um, but he moves through these stories, and, and we saw that there's a pattern that emerges through these. We see these values that we value here at Mission Ridge. We see them showing up in these stories over and over. We see that, yeah, he's roughly right. He's not going to get things perfect. We see that he's sacrificially generous. 
with Lot where he says, you can choose whatever. We're going to split and you can take your pick, right? As the patriarch, you wouldn't do that. He values family. He chases after Lot and rescues him multiple times. And then you've got the blood path covenant where we talked about the authenticity of him saying, no, I need to go through this, but I can't do this. The authenticity that we saw, the vulnerability there, the frankness in his conversations with God. We saw this over and over. We saw with Hagar that he learned he needs the, the value of unity and diversity. The fact that you, we need to value the outsider. We need to bring them in and we need to treat them as one of our own, not a stranger, right? <clears throat> with circumcision, we saw roughly right again. And then we move on through and these things keep repeating, in various ways. And so we get here with Sarah and Rebecca, and we see a whole lot of sacrificial generosity again in these stories. These are the elements that God is looking for that he wants to partner with, that he wants to see us exhibit. And I think what we see ultimately in Abraham as he's moving through this story is we see a legacy developing out of this. This is the legacy that he has left because they, even to, the, even to this day, the Jewish people view these stories as huge. These are pillars of their faith. These are pillars of my faith because Jesus takes these and he works with the Old Testament. He builds on this. The, Jesus is the continuation of God putting the world back together which leads all the way down, and I don't know how the lineage works, but somehow it ends up with me. <sighs> Yikes. But nonetheless, this is the legacy that we see Abraham leave, this legacy of being a partner that God would work with. So I think that the, I think the implication, not just for today, but for the entire series is to leave a legacy. What we see here is God is calling us to leave a legacy. And not just, not just any legacy. To, see, to leave a legacy that's worth pursuing. Because if your legacy sucks, that's, well, that's not so great. And I think most of us, if not all of us, probably have either experienced or at least seen a legacy that was not so great. You probably can think of a couple examples in your head of people that you know where you're like, yeah, nope, they got a real rum deal coming down through the generations. Or maybe, maybe that's you, right? So we want to leave a legacy that's not just, not just a legacy, but a good legacy. I think what we see Abraham leaving is a good, this is a good legacy. He has moved the ball down the field. He has moved it forward, and the story is progressing in a good way. I think for us as Christians, what leaving a legacy means is we're going to make disciples who make disciples. I think I've, that's where I came from. I had people that discipled me and got me to where I'm at. And they had people that discipled them in the faith, and they had people that discipled them all the way back. This is what Jesus has left us with. This is the legacy that he has left us with, is that we are going to make disciples. And then those disciples will make disciples. Now, there's all kinds of ethereal, up in the clouds, head, you know, brainy 
we can wrestle with of what it means to, you know, what you can do to leave a good legacy, right? Understanding where you come from, understanding, you know, my family of origin and the, the things that my parents did and how they affected what I do and grandparents did and all of that. We can, we can break those down and those are good. But when we really get down to the, the brass tacks, we get down to the nitty gritty. That's really hard to say when your mouth's kind of dry. Nitty gritty. Um, what it means to leave a legacy, what it means to make disciples, what I have to do to do those is I have to invest in relational discipleship, which is that, that's why, that's our first call to action today is I have to invest in relational discipleship. If you are going to leave a legacy, then you are going to have to invest in relational discipleship. Because if you're going to make disciples, then you have to actually make disciples. <laughs> they kind of go hand in hand. It's kind of what happens. And spoiler alert, disciples are made through relationship. You can't, I, I don't know if I've ever seen it where there isn't relationship when somebody is being discipled, when a disciple is being made. Now, some of the ways that we go about doing that here, we've got our care groups we got our LTGs. These are rela relational environments that we want to make disciples in, okay? So maybe, maybe this means if you're going to invest in relational discipleship, maybe that means that you get into a care group. And in that care group, what we're going to do, because if you're going to make disciples and be relational, then what we want to do is we want to build out these core values that we saw with Abraham. Do you want to throw that graph up there again? Por favor. That one, bingo. We're going to want to see these things. And I'm, I'm going to disciple people, and hopefully we're going to improve on our sacrificial generosity. I'm going to disciple them in how to be sacrificially generous, and they're going to disciple me. In a care group setting, we're going to get together in community, and we're going to wrestle with what it looks like to be sacrificially generous. We're going to get together, and we're going to wrestle with what it looks like to have family and to develop that family unit, like we talked about last week, of expanding your view of family and bringing people in that need family, right? That's what this is going to look like. We're going to get together in care group, and we're going to wrestle with this, and we're going to live this out. We're going to say, those people need our help. Let's go help them as a group. This is what we do. We're going to fight for unity and diversity in our care groups. That's what we're going to do because this is, this is something that God wants to partner with us in. He, he sees this in Abraham and he wants to partner with him. He, de he develops, he gives Abraham scenarios where he can develop this. This is what we need to do if we're going to invest in relational discipleship. I think of uh, my favorite care, second favorite care group. Obviously, my current care group is my favorite care group. Um, but my second most favorite care group ever was back in Moscow. And we were... Chaos Incarnate. Uh, it was a 20-something. There was a bunch of 20-year-olds, a uh, bunch of crazy millennials. And we, we loved each other. We would get together multiple times a week. And just because we liked hanging out with each other, it was wild. Um, but I'll tell you what. This was during the 2016 election season. <clears throat> Not a divisive time at all. And I had people about as far that way as on the spectrum and about as far that way on the spectrum as you could get. We were all in the same group together. Oh man, did we have some intense fellowship. 
but it was good. And we could get together and we could wrestle with these things. And I don't know if, I don't think any of us really have changed our positions. It wasn't a matter of winning. It was a matter of wrestling with topics and wrestling with conversations and saying, what do you do with this? And I vehemently disagree with everything that my buddy 18 is saying. Like, I love him to death. We disagreed like 98.9% of the time. Just throwing out a stat, but it was pretty much all the time. I don't know if there's anything we'd agree on. But we would get together, and because we valued each other, because we valued the relationship, we could wrestle through these topics. We could talk about them. We could get into some knockdown dragouts and still love each other, which I think looks a whole lot like Jesus. And ultimately, that group, that group, because we had the relational aspect so good, because we were so committed to loving each other and doing things for each other and taking care of each other and being a family and being authentic with each other, eventually we started bringing other people into that group and they were attracted to that because that sounds really good. I don't know about you, but being in a community where that happens, it's pretty fulfilling. And so ultimately we start bringing in other people just naturally, coworkers that wanted to come hang out when we're doing breakfast for dinner on a Wednesday night. And then they're like, what do you, why, how do you all know each other? Well, we all have the same, we, we do this Bible study on Tuesdays. Sounds pretty cool. And so we, and then eventually, well, we're going to do s'mores after the Bible study. So then they'd come hang out after that. And then eventually they start coming a little earlier because they really like hanging out with us. I don't know why. Uh, and then eventually they're coming to care group and they're participating. And then eventually she's coming and you know, dragging us all to church. I don't know how this happened. And, and then eventually we're baptizing that, purpose, that person. And you kind of look around and you go, what did we just do? Well, we made a disciple. And that person is now making disciples, which is really cool. It's through relational discipleship. Proof's in the pudding. Now, with that said... There's one other call to action that we have to have, which is we need to move beyond our mistakes. If you're going to make relational disciples, you have to be willing to move beyond your mistakes. If you don't move beyond your mistakes, then you are going to be stagnant. You will get stuck there, and maybe, maybe it's just dwelling on it. Maybe it's I just can't move past this. I don't know how to. That's where the relational aspect, the community aspect comes into. You have to be willing to move past your mistakes. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to make disciples with a good legacy. You're going to pass that legacy on to any disciples that you do make. You're going to, because you are making disciples. There are people that you have influence over in your life. And if you don't move past those mistakes, if you don't remove those stumbling blocks and move them off the path, then they get passed on. That doesn't mean we have to be perfect at that. Lord knows I'm not. But there are going to be times where we screw things up. And we have to be willing to move past that, to move beyond that, and to continue down that path of discipling things and putting things back together for God. There are going to be times in those relational environments where, yeah, we had some humdingers of arguments. And we, we left and we were like, oh, man, I don't know if I still love you or not. We did. We did. And we learn to move past it. We learn to reconcile 
and forgive each other for, you know, saying some vicious things maybe at times. But we had to move past those because if not, if we didn't, if we didn't, if we hadn't have moved past those things, if we hadn't have been willing to fight for those relationships and move past those hurts, disciples would not have been made. So I think that's where we're at today. This is where, this is the, this is what we get from Abraham. We get this story of it's important to build a legacy. This is what God shows us through Abraham is who he wants to partner with, who he wants to use to put the world back together. And so he's going to use this imperfect guy who's willing to just go and grow and eventually create this legacy that is going to affect not just one, not just two, but multiple cultures across the world. That's who God wants to partner with. That's the partner that God pursues. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.